Welcome to the Refuge Project. The Refuge Project is a place that we can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. And the band is back together. Yeah, I've never <laughs> felt so safe. Right. <laughs> Welcome to the Refuge Project, man. It's been a long time since the three of us been in the same room. For real. Yeah, we, we appreciate everybody that stepped in over the last, well, over the summer. Yeah, uh, yeah the, whole summer. The summer. The summer was busy for everybody. Uh, pastor Caesar, he's the you know the resident youth pastor and mm-hmm. chasing kids around the 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 state. Yep, you know doing those things. And James has been that consistent fella, man. He's he's been there holding it down for us, man. Except for pre- when I was in Colorado. Yeah, but. we appreciate you coming in and stepping in and making things happen. You can always get that text from James, like podcast. What's going on? Let's get yeah. this, you know, let's get it together. And then uh, I keep thinking one of these weeks, one of you guys will text. Yeah. <laughs> every time I find myself after second service, I'm like, oh, I haven't heard anything. I guess I better find out. <laughs> oh, man. And then last week, last two weeks, man, I, the COVID got me. Yeah, got you. Man. Yeah, the COVID. It, yeah, it got me, man. And uh, so I was out and really enjoyed the, the fellas that you brought in, uh, the the worship pastor and the young adults pastor. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, real good uh, podcast. And- I thought I lost that episode. Yeah, yeah, that was, was scary, man. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so bad. Yeah, so that night I was setting it up. Right, we went we went to Caesar's house to record last week's episode. I don't know if we said that. Uh, so we're at Caesar's house, sitting in his kitchen, and I brought my computer and I was recording on my computer. And I, uh, when I was setting it up, I noticed my computer was acting weird. And some of my icons that are usually on my desktop weren't there, and I was like, "That's weird." And uh, I brought my little hard drive that I save everything on. Uh, like an external hard drive and it wasn't wrecking the computer wasn't showing it anywhere. And I was like, that's weird. I was like, well, it, everything else seems like it's working. I guess I'll just save it to the desktop, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we did the whole hour 20, whatever podcast and, uh, saved it all to the desktop. And on, I got home, uh, I, tur- I woke up in the morning and I went to start messing with the stuff and Caesar texted us something about the podcast. And I was like, yeah, working on it right now. And I was like getting, turning on my computer and everything. And when I went to load up the uh, the session and all to edit it and everything, <laughs> just not all of my tracks were there, like where all the recorded audio should have been. But none of the audio was there. Oh, and I man. was just like, what is this? And long story short, I had a lot of fiddling, restarting this and that and, uh, and uh, a, little, a little tips and tricks. And I finally figured I, I made it happen. My heart sank after man. like 30 minutes of messing with it. I texted him. I was like, guys, I'm real sorry. I don't know what to say. T- it's not here. It was active weird. I don't know. It's not here. And then, uh, yeah, but it, luckily I got it to work. For well, it, it was funny because just like uh, the text in our group chat right before that was Pastor Caesar going, hey, man, it was a great episode. Yeah, he this was week, talking about how great it was. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was great working on it right now. <laughs> and, if, and if you would have lost it, right, you would have lost it, I would have blown it up even more. It's like, man, that was the best episode yeah, in <laughs> all podcast history. Yeah. And then after we had that one with Pastor Mark back when we first started where we recorded a whole one yeah. and just there's no memory card in there. Yeah. And like, I was like, I can't have this happen again. So speaking of that, is red right? Red means it's recording. Okay, Good. perfect. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're rocking and rolling right now. One of the, uh, uh, whenever we finished recording, man, uh, Christian stayed behind for a while cause we got talking about theology and, and, uh, it, and it was really good, man. It's like, that could have been a whole nother podcast. And, and, uh, you know, we differed on some things theologically, but not on the main things, you know? And, and I was, 
afterwards, I just like told him like, man, how much I appreciate being able to have a conversation with somebody that has different uh, theological views than me and we don't have to fight about it. You know, we don't have to argue about it, but yet we can agree on the major things, you know, and, uh, Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, and then everything else is kind of everything else. Yeah. You know? That's funny that you say that because I was just listening to um, uh, a podcast of the day. And there's, there's one guy that he's like super dogmatic of what he believes. And anything outside of that is the non-truth, mm. you know? Yeah. And uh, Ruslan, I don't remember if you guys remember Ruslan. You might. It was a, on a Wednesday night. These guys were on tour and they brought the big tour bus and they came in and did a hip hop concert there. Um, but he was one of those guys and he's got a pretty big platform on um, social media and things now. That's kind of what he does. He's a YouTuber and he's, he speaks on a lot of different things. And um, so this guy was speaking on some of his videos of the things that he believed in. So Ruslan called him out. He was just like, let's, let's get on, you know, let's get on YouTube and let's talk about it, you know? So they, they, they did. It was one of those things where, Ruslan was just like, look, man, we agree on like 95%. Let's come together. Mm-hmm. And that guy could not do it, man. He was just <laughs> like, no, we're going to agree on 100% or you're not saved. Basically, that was yeah. that's what he was saying, you yeah. know. And it's just one of those things that, uh, and we can kind of, this will fit into some of the things we're going to talk about later. But, um, like, sometimes we can be so dogmatic in what we believe and set us such a hard line because we are passionate about it. Yeah. You know, because we all, we, we, we feel like we did the studies and, and this is what we got out of it. And kind of like what you was talking about this morning is when you get that revelation, you feel like, okay, this is it. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what the truth is. And uh, so, but there, there's gotta be, you know, there's gotta be times that we sit down and we listen to people and we go back and we look at the scripture and then kind of just have an idea. Like there's like just Calvinism. You know, mm-hmm. there's two really good arguments on both sides. Yeah. So there's going to be people that fall on both sides. But does that prevent us from falling in line with the other 95 percent? Yeah. Yeah. And then you got, you know, you got uh, the fringe on, on everything. You got the, the the liberal side and the very, very conservative side on both sides of the uh, conversation. Right. And they're all equally as dogmatic about what they believe yeah. and all that. And like, like, and I, and I get it, just like you said, you know, you're passionate about it and all that, but in your passion, like you can have, you can have the 100% truth and share it the wrong way, Yeah, you know, to where it's like, wait a minute. And you're telling me you're supposed to be exemplifying the character of God right now. And, and I'm seeing everything but that. Yeah. You know? That's kind of what Ruslan was talking about in, in this. He was just like, man, we're supposed to be brothers in Christ lifting each other up. And you were like bashing my name, you know, instead of lifting up as brothers and say, Hey, listen, I don't agree with this. And some of you might agree with me. Some of you might agree with Ruslan, but he was just like, no, he's wrong. And he's, you know, these names that he was calling them, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he was calling them basically like slandering names, Eminem, you know, mm. insert, you know, diss on it, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. And then just, you know, he, he, they just really couldn't get past anything. And cause this guy felt like, you know, cause, cause he knew the truth, the real truth. Yeah. You know, the God has showed him stuff that he hasn't showed anybody else Yeah, that yeah. he's, yeah. that he's, you know, able to be able to call people out and slander yeah, their yeah. name. I was, of, I, this week I was, I had two separate conversations about that topic about, you know, prophecy and being a preacher. I think 
I think prophecy is a kind of like an an easy way out to go preaching, like because you don't have to prove it. Yeah. You can say whatever you want, and you're like, that's 50-50 chance that you're going to get it right or wrong, right? And it riles people up, which is fine. I mean, I believe in prophecy. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I absolutely believe in prophecy and people speaking in the prophetic. The problem is a lot of people speak in the pathetic, yeah. you know, and they just nice. want to go. Yeah, thank you. That was some... That was some evelation. Well, what's the Steve Furtick stuff there, bro? Oh, was but, it? Yeah. <laughs> he always turned the pathetic to prophetic. He always had the, the back-to-back, you know, words or whatever. That yeah. Rhyme. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm all for the prophetic and all that, but it gets taken a little bit out of hand, especially in charismatic circles. And and I, I agree with it, but, but, you know, let's just kind of... I was having a conversation with a brother, brother I love, uh, older gentleman, um, definitely, a, 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 you know, an elder, uh, not a elder in the church, but elderly. Right. And, uh, and, and we were just talking about it and I told him, look, bro, I, uh, says, I, yeah, I study it. I look at it more so than other people, but why am I going to devote so much time and energy to this topic whenever I got to, I got to talk to the kid that's strung out on drugs and what do they care about Daniel's 70th week prophecy? You know, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter at that point. Uh, Whenever a marriage is falling apart and you're not going to tell them about, you know, what, what the beast and the horns and all that stuff mean. It's like, no, no, let's, let's get some, some practical theology right in front of you and let's let, let's let God work through this real quick. Yeah, and that's the struggle in church today. The struggle in church today is where we preach between fire and brimstone and preaching where the, the Bible is practical in our life, mm-hmm. right? And then some reason that we, there's two camps. One's fire and brimstone or one's always doing the practical stuff, right? Yeah. And instead of like, we got to figure out a space in between and really just say, Hey man, if you're going to hell, if, if you don't follow these things, but at the same time, we need to know where the Bible's practical in our life so we can navigate it, especially as young people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm sure we're going to touch on that a little more later on. Yeah. So all right. What well, we got? Let's jump right in. Culture Corner. Okay, this time I'm really going yeah, in. It's going down for real. About to go down. I'm up. No. You need a whole rap about how you're about to do it. That's funny. Like a whole rap. <laughs> my Y'all first, ain't even ready for this. My, my first year as a my first year as a youth pastor, we we took uh we took these kids over to, to to go camp in some kind of like silo looking things or whatever. It was like two thirty in the morning and they wouldn't shut up and all I hear, you know, they're flowing, they're freestyling oh, over they're there. And, and we don't it. you know, we don't have any spitters, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean this kid was from Pearland, you know what I mean? We all know there's no spitters you in Pearland. Like twenty rappers in Pearland. Like, right? <laughs> <laughs> well come at me. Y'all don't y'all don't want no smoke. <laughs> no, no, but but it's like two 30 everybody's trying to go to sleep and then whatever and all i hear is like you know in the back you got the and then he's a good he says he says i'm about to go in it's it's in the woods and and like man y'all shut up go to sleep you know i did that when i was uh you you probably remember this so we was we was in the dorms in camp and it was man two three o'clock in the morning they would not shut up so I just got up out of bed, took my shorts off, and walked in there in my tidy whities and be like, that. "That's enough." 
and everybody was just like, oh my gosh, Pastor <laughs> Davidson here was a tidy whitey. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you took the shorts off like intentionally. Just, <laughs> that's and they thought I was like super serious, right? But I was in there just to like to, trying to break it up, you know, and it, it worked so well. And I just went back to my bed and laughed. All I and, saw was a pasty <laughs> <laughs> Midwest male. Oh, man. It was Walking so down the hall, funny. Man. You be quiet. It was so Dude, I, yelled, I yelled at Micah one year and I felt so bad about it with the first. Uh, the Ascension retreat. Yeah, like the, yeah first the young adults retreat. Did. You know what's really funny about this story? Okay, so. Okay, so Michael, we were all there. It was one of those things, you know, we're all sleeping in the same room. All the guys are anyway, right? So it's like all the bunk beds in the same room, whatever. And uh, Micah had brought a friend whose name is Josue, who I didn't know at the time. And uh, so Micah and I think like a couple people, they're sitting in the middle of the room and they're just like talking and stuff all night, which, you know, it's like, whatever, we're all having this thing. You know, people are going to be talking and whatever. And so at like... 1130 or so I'm like trying to get to sleep because we all got to get up at seven or whatever and uh uh every time I kept almost falling asleep I'd hear them talking again and it would wake me up and this went on like four or five like five six times and finally it happened again and I look at the clock and it's 3 a.m and uh my weakness is if you mess with my sleep so I'm like always in I'm Shout pretty out to Kevin. I'm pretty, the same way. Yeah, I'm pretty in control. You mess up with my food or my sleep, like when I'm really hungry or really tired, but like especially for Yeah, because you don't eat. Yeah, I eat, dude. Y'all, I had steak, veggies, and potatoes for lunch today, dude. Yeah, it was probably like a four-ounce portion. That's it was not, a nice that's New not York a, strip, dude. It was good. I finally nailed the cook Texas on it. Texas Roadhouse? Or did you do it yourself? No, I made it last night. All right. I finally nailed nice. the cook on it. Nice. That's not the point of the story. It's not anyway, a human-sized so portion. I look at it. Yeah, the clock is three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was three in the morning, so I looked and I just like lost it, and I just started. I just like rolled over. I think I like smacked the bed or something like that. Like I was just like, "Good lord!" Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I said, "It's three in the morning. We've been listening to your stupid conversation for three hours. Please shut up!" And I rolled over, and then nobody made a sound for. The rest of the night. It worked. Yeah, but then I woke up in the morning at 6.45 or whatever, and I was like, oh, man, I was yelling at people last night. I was like brushing my teeth and more, and Mark walks in the bathroom, he goes, he just walks in, he's slow clapping, he goes, thank God for James Nissen. And I was like, what? No, no, no. And then like slowly, like one person kept going, I was like, dude, thank you for saying something last night. Yeah, last night. And I was like, no, and I was mean. I shouldn't have. I was and I, oh, I had funny. to tell Mike yeah. on the way to I was with your cousin Austin today, <laughs> and we were just talking about how James is like the resident nice guy. Like, yeah. he is always nice. I am, but... If, except then. Because then you're a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I told Mike on the way to Burgers, like, hey, man, I didn't mean to yell at you guys. Sorry, he was like, <laughs> He's like, no, no, we shouldn't have been. I was like, oh, but the end of that story is like three years later, there's this new guy at work at my job and I see him like walking up uh, to come into like his first day or something. And he kind of gives me like a little, Hey, what, like a head nod. Hey, what's, what's up? up? Hey, y'all be quiet. Man. And I just kind of <laughs> gave him, I just was kind of, Hey man, whatever. Uh, I didn't like hardly acknowledge him at all. Cause I didn't think I knew him or whatever, but then like I meet him, you know, I meet him and I'm talking and he's like, yeah, yeah. You, you went to Elon. Remember we were at that thing together. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're Micah's friend. 
And I was like, oh, dang. So then it like it hit me. He was the guy he was that, Mike, that came on the trip with Micah. And his big like remembrance of me is him like yelling at them. Every, at time, James, the every time James come around, he's like, hey, y'all be quiet. Yes. Be quiet. <laughs> I felt really bad. It'd, it'd, it'd be funny if you were yelling at somebody whenever he met you again. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's always Where's my chicken? <laughs> this guy's always yelling. <laughs> Uh, anyways, back to Culture Corner. Texas yeah, death row inmate got a reprieve Wednesday evening from execution after killing a convenience store worker during a 2004 robbery that he got a whole dollar twenty-five out of. Mm. But his reprieve went all the way to the Supreme Court, and it was blocked. And uh, he got a, a reprieve because. They will not allow his pastor in there mm. and hold his hand and pray out loud while they was giving him the lethal injection. So, so he got off because he got a reprieve. He, he's still going to be executed, but they're going to try to figure out um, if it is legal for his pastor to touch him as he gets the injection. He, the, now the law says that he's allowed in the room, mm-hmm. but no one except the uh, state employee can touch the uh, inmate while he's being injected with the. Uh, it would be crazy if he was like, "I want my pastor to inject me." <laughs> yeah, that would be nuts. That would be nuts. Uh, so he got a reprieve, and they're trying to figure it out. I guess this is not the first time that it's been to the Supreme Court, and uh, so they're trying to figure it out. Um, you know, I mean, what rights does he have? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I think that's one of the that's one of the hard hard things that you know. I was talking to my parents kind of a little bit about this earlier today, and um, you know, we try to give a lot of these inmates you know rights, and we're just talking different things about uh, you know the electric chair versus um, you know the lethal injection, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I got I kind of got some different feelings about it, like. I almost feel like the electric chair is revenge for the family. You know, I mean, you're torturing someone. Yeah. Uh, is that really what we want to do? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, like I told him, they were just like, no, that is so mean. I said, but if it was me, somebody yeah, yeah. killed me, mm-hmm. how would you feel about it? You yeah. would feel a certain kind of way. Well, maybe he deserves that because he killed my son, you know? And then on the other hand, as compassionate people as Christians, do we want somebody to suffer? My thing is, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't even kill them at all. That's getting off easy. Yeah. Mm. I, I live with your rest of your life in prison. And maybe that's hard. That's, yeah, that's harder than dying. Especially yeah. if you're going to put them to sleep and then stop their heart. There's nothing to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing for me where I stand on those issues is that um, God will forgive you. I believe no matter what you do and, and, if God calls you and you approach him, you repent and, you know, you do what you need to do, God will forgive you. But that doesn't absolve you from what your responsibility to man is. And uh, and God is the one that set the the governments in place. That's that's what his word says. Anything that is a, uh, you know, a governance over over us, over our lives. And uh, we are to obey the laws of the land. And the laws of the land mean if you mess up this way, you have a civil responsibility to pay up. Yeah. And uh, God will forgive you. I, I, I 100% believe that. Yeah. Um, but man will not. And I, 
where I stand right now, that's okay. You pay, you do the time or you do the crime, you do the time. Yeah. And I think that was one of the big things when we was talking to brother Calvin, when he was in here. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, uh, I think that like, you know, he was really hesitant to really speak out on some of these things because he was almost celebrated, you know, during that time, because we all knew him as the redeemed man. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was almost celebrated by doing the thing he did. And he never wanted to take that position of somebody that was celebrated for committing, you know, a heinous crime as, as he did. Right. Um, so it's just one of those things. Now he went through the, the, the process, right. And he got what he got and he did, you know, he did the time for what it is. Right. And I think that's something, you know, that that I was being selfish about saying, no, bro, you don't have to do this, Mm -hmm. but in his eyes that, yeah, he had his, he had to stand, you know, for what he done. Right. Uh, so, and then whatever comes out of that, then I think that's what you should get. Right. And in his case, he satisfied the law of the land. Yeah. So, and he was willing to do whatever was necessary. And that's, that, that speaks volumes because yeah. he, as a Christian, now the redeemed one, he knew, okay, I know God. And he said that, you know, he knew that God, that God forgave him, but he also knew he had a responsive, a social responsibility, right. a civil responsibility. And he encountered that and God got him through that with just an incredible testimony, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, that's the example right there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, what happens out of this. Would you be there? If, if I was asked the, if you were the pastor there? Yeah, I think it would be, I think you're putting your pastor in a really tough position. Um, not, not to be there, but to, to witness something like that. Like, if I was if I was there, I wouldn't want anybody there. Mm-hmm. I would want to I wouldn't want to go out alone. I wouldn't want for my pastor to have to see you know me be put to death. I wouldn't want my wife or my kids or my yeah. family to to have to yeah. witness the, that very last moment of me being put to death instead of all the great memories that they had right. and, and those type of things. Um, but you know, sometimes as a pastor, it's not always fun. Yeah. You know, and we have to do things sometimes that we don't want to do, and and you know, we signed up for it. You know, we signed up for the good and the bad. And sometimes we get celebrated for, you know, uh, the great messages that we preach. By the way, good message this morning. Thank you. Um, And uh, we get celebrated for those things. But at the same time, there's a lot of crap that we have to deal with, too. You know, all the the unseen. Yeah. Yeah. The hard part of the, uh, you know, that's the that's the fun and the easy part of it, you know, is getting up there and. And uh, presenting the message. The hard part is preparing for the message, dealing with the, the, the nonsense that goes on behind the curtain and all those t- type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's just, you know, I wouldn't want to put my pastor. I wouldn't ask right. Pastor Mark, come on, you know, hold my hand why I die. Yeah, you know what I'm I, I, I saw this story. I didn't read the, the contents of it. I just saw it pop up. And of course, I go to the comment section because that's where you get all your right information from. <laughs> but, you know, Twitter, they, but they were saying they were saying, well, you know, did did you allow the, the pastor of the victim to come and hold their hand? Well, you took their life, mm. you know, and, and, and the human part of me says, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, but then the side of me that is God, compassion and all that. It's like, man, just let the man's pastor come. Yeah, and it's one of those things, Mike. I mean, the pastor's in the room, you know, and they allowed him that, that much. Um, like, to me, at, at some point, like, you give up your rights when you do certain things. Yeah, yeah, sure, know? sure. So, um, the law- it's a tough one, man. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not on either side of this. Uh, I probably would be different if it was, if I ministered to this young man. 
And I, you know, the Lord allowed me to give him certain, give me certain words that, that, you know, the, that he gave his life to the Lord and the Lord just really touched his life. And you've seen the growth and all those different things. So I, without being in that position, it, it's hard to mm-hmm. sit back and play Sunday, you know, Monday morning quarterback and all those things. When you've seen the life changing experience that this young man has had, you know, over the yeah. 20 years in prison. Yeah. Uh, so rough. Yeah. I'm just glad the young man is saved. You know, yeah. if he's getting his hand held before, you know, during his execution or not, uh, he got saved. And, uh, the, you know, one day we'll see him and we'll, we'll tell him, sorry, you didn't get your hand held. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We were, we were cleaning the house yesterday and speaking of heaven and, uh, you know, we were going around doing the, you know, the Saturday morning deals and, you know, toilets and floors and all that stuff. And Sandra was just like, I don't want a mansion in heaven. <laughs> and I was just like, why? She goes, cause I don't want to clean that thing. <laughs> yeah. Brother Calvin reminded us this morning that there won't be no dust in heaven. <laughs> uh, James, what you got? I got one. Let me read you the, the headline. The headline says Spanish Catholic Bishop resigns his post after falling in love with a satanic erotic writer. What? Yeah. Should I read it again? That was a lot of words. Yeah, do that again. Spanish Catholic bishop resigns his post after falling in love with a satanic erotic writer. Sounds okay. like a, okay. like a T-Pain song, man. Is anybody familiar with the, the, the Catholic? What is, so what is a bishop? He's up there. So in the, I don't know what the. So this is not like a local pastor. This is kind of something. This is a big bi- deal. Yeah. So it said in here in the article, he was the youngest uh, one in Spain, I think, mm. to uh, reach the role of bishop at the age of 40. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. I was thinking the bishop is more of a uh, a bigger area over more yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in local. charge of more. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a big deal. Yeah. So anyway, so he's a bishop. So this is the story. He's a bishop. He's a big deal in uh, the community. Looked up Kind of looked up to, but also apparently he had a bunch of weird beliefs too that were kind of. It's always uh, those young ones that are progressive. Yeah, yeah, young yeah, at, yeah. 40, at forty something. Uh, but anyway, so one of the things that he did is he uh, he was part of the exorcism stuff. So he he would try mm. to exorcise demons out of people. Okay, and so he's like uh, researching that. Mm, so he starts. That's reading, what they call it these days. Yeah. So he starts reading some of these books. He reads this lady, one of the ladies' novels, and uh, what's the name? She says uh, one of the books that he read, it was called uh, The Hell of Gabriel's Lust. Mm. So it's all these just, you know, what? Uh, what's the famous one? It's not satanic, but the whole uh, Harry Potter. No, no. The, <laughs> the one that Same made, difference. <laughs> they made movies about it. And now I'm the Shades of Grey. Oh, yeah, yeah, she yeah. makes like stuff like that, except it's all like involving okay, like speaking demons. Of, I'm going to put my stuff out there before. I never like read the book or seen the show or whatever. But one time I was just like, I'm going to see what this is about. What's that? Fifty Shades of Grey. Because there was a couple books that were thrown out. Right Fifty now. Shades yeah. of Grey. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. I got 15 minutes into it. I was just like, I can't watch this. Yeah, I didn't watch the movie. Apparently, it would. I mean, oh, it's yeah. Pretty, okay, yeah. I would, yeah. From the from the jump, I was Somebody, just like, I'm out. Some girls, because it's real big with the ladies. Yeah. The ladies like the erotic books, turns out. And, I, guess, uh, I, I don't remember. I, so. I don't remember who I was talking about, but some girl when that movie was coming out because I mean a couple of them. They were like, yeah. they're like, yeah, I was watching the theaters. I felt like I was just like watching porn in the yeah, theaters with all these I people. Couldn't, was... I couldn't do it. Anyway, so she makes stuff kind of like that, except it's like involving demons and satanic stuff too. And so the dude's reading these books, like trying to research about demons, and uh, he just starts questioning all this stuff, and he ends up falling in love with the chick. 
and uh, they get married. And so he resigns his post so that he can marry the lady. It sounds like her next novel. Uh, dude. Yeah, she's now she's the one doing the research. Yeah. <laughs> he thought he was researching and she yeah. got him. Yep. I don't know. So anyway, that the hunter has become the prey. Okay. So I seen something like this just recently on I think it was Netflix, some new show coming out on Netflix where they're doing this like uh I think it might be like some YouTube deal or whatever. Uh-huh. And they're like faking these exorcisms or whatever and and, and like somebody really had a demon and there he's like like they could say cut, you know, and they were supposed to cut. Well, the demon was just like, no, we're not cutting. This yeah. time. <laughs> and it's like this demon like starts coming up out of this dude. And it was just like, oh, it's getting real right now. <laughs> Look, I don't even feel so when you play with that stuff. Yeah, I don't yeah, even feel yeah. bad for people that play with that stuff. Yeah. You are invited. That is completely real. Yeah. You know, the, the Bible lets us know that that stuff is real. People that are like, well, you know, I just, you know, I just watch horror movies because I like the way it makes me feel. It's like, look, and then whenever your life's a mess and you're like, well, I don't know why this is happening. You're inviting that junk into your house. Mm-hmm. So we, we have a mutual friend where he's more of your friend than he is my friend. Um, you know about JP? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's, he's like a, uh, ghost hunters and stuff. You know, he goes into these supposedly, you know, places that are haunted or whatever. And they can, you know, Adam, I think may even, maybe even went with him one time. I don't know. Um, but he, they was asking me about it. I said, man, you play with that stuff. You're going to find it. Yeah. You know, this is. Well, and he did. Yeah, you he did. Oh yeah. yeah. He, he found what he was looking for. Like. It's, it's not Casper the Friendly Ghost. This is not something that somebody throws a shoot over, cuts the eyes out, and then you know you're gonna have fun with it. Like you go looking for spiritual things, you're gonna find them. Yeah, and, my uh, best friend, he was like the other half of that show. Uh, his name is Jonathan. So him and JP, and I think they had another dude. Yeah, the other person kind of like kept swapping out. I think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they would go to these like haunted places around Texas and wherever, and they got pretty big. They were making YouTube videos of yeah. it, and they started getting pretty big. And they were talking to Netflix about making some show or yeah. something. Um, and so it was like going good or whatever. And, but my, yeah, my friend, uh, we used to be roommates when he was doing that. He would be, he would tell me these stories like, yeah, dude, this is some crazy stuff. Like and he'd tell me about all this stuff, but eventually, uh, JP had some experience where it like lingered with him for like a couple weeks. Yeah. And so he just stopped. He was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I've, I've heard some testimonies of people that were actually deep in that world and, uh-huh. and, and all that. And they would talk about how at first it was, it was just almost like a harmless interaction. But by the end of, you mm-hmm. know, whenever they were in, they were being, uh, the, the way they described, described it was spiritually molested in their dreams yeah. to where they would be, you know, the, mm-hmm. that, the, that this demon would, would, uh, would have his or her. I don't know if there's any genders there, but they would have their way with them. Yeah. And, uh, and then you woke up just, the energy, your life force was yeah. taken away there. It was. Yeah. Yeah. If I remember right, he, uh, he said, cause they, you know, they'd go to places and, you know, you hear footsteps down the hall and like that kind of stuff. And, Oh, this object moved. It was over here. But then I turned the lights on. It's over here. That's crazy. They would have like those kind of things. But then like one time, uh, they went somewhere, they start like hearing some voice or something. I think, uh, JP said like, he just like blacked out for, there was like a few hours or something like that where he doesn't remember any of it. And the other guys were like, they would talk about his experience. They're like, your his face was just blank the whole time. And he was like going around places with them. But like, 
it was just you, there was just this weird energy and all. And they asked him about it later. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even remember that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, they stopped doing it. Yeah, I think but, I shared a story. I think I shared the story about the time where a buddy of mine went through that same experience, and uh, he didn't he didn't remember like when we walked out of the house that night because <clears throat> they basically kicked us out because this dude was just like doing some crazy stuff. <clears throat> and when he walked through the threshold, like. Like the, 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 the demon had to like find like home. Like, so he didn't, my, my buddy, he didn't accept this. So he like stayed with his host, which was the other guy that was in the house. Mm. And, uh, he was just like, he shook his head. Like, you know, like when the dog shakes his head, Mm -hmm. my buddy did that. And, um, he was just like, what just happened? You know, so and then we started telling the stories and the different rages and him looking across the room at this young lady and telling her all her deep, dark secrets about what her uncle did to her when she was young and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and, uh, he st- started coming around and it was just like, it was super intense, yeah. like yeah. super intense. Well, it turns out this Catholic priest is into that. Yeah. And he left the church to go hang out with it. That's like a, I mean, that's like an elevated form of sadomasochism. You know, it's whenever you enjoy the, I don't know that's, what that word. Uh, well, it's it's it's, 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 it's kind of like that sounds scary. It, it doesn't it's, sound it's, good. It's, it's like it's that torture sex stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, to where you like yeah. pain being inflicted and, yeah, and all yeah. that. Funny story. One of the ministers in our church. Funny story about torture. Sex. Yeah, yeah. So here's, <laughs> it's actually, here's the funny story about sadomasochists. Um, no, one of the, one of the ministers in our in our church was telling me a story of years ago that um, uh, yeah, years ago this this she was a young lady at that time used to come to the church used to minister to her and everything 20 years later she comes back she know you know he didn't know where she was or what she was doing or anything Mm -hmm. but comes back turns out she wants to get married she's uh you know she's engaged but her fiance is not a christian and he's really into the whole sadomasochist thing and uh, she wanted this minister to marry them Right. And so he was like, uh, there's some questions that I have. Like, and she just like released all that information. Right. But she's like, there's some questions that I have. Like, like, why is it important for you to have a Christian wedding and a a Christian (laughs) marriage and in a church and all Uh that whenever like you're allowing yourself to go to these depths already? Yeah. Like, cause that's not Christian behavior there. Uh That's some, there's that like, huh? You know, so anyway, long story short, they didn't end up doing the marriage, uh, or he didn't. There, I'm pretty sure they probably went to that Catholic priest to go get yeah, married. Or <laughs> yeah, we were talking a little bit about this before uh, before the podcast, and uh, it's funny because we had these conversations. And we're like, no, 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 let's not talk about it anymore. Let's wait till we get on the podcast. <laughs> hit start, hit yeah, start. yeah. Um, but like, you know, some of these faiths that make these men and women hold this really strict, hard line. Uh, you see a lot of this stuff happen, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking about a man having to hold off on his sexual desires and stuff like that for his whole life, mm-hmm. and then he goes into a, a deep research on something like this, I mean, those, I mean, can you imagine the desires that you had when you was a teenager, that same desire that's built up when you're 40? Oh, it's mm-hmm. a powder keg. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then the problem with that is it's, it's really... It's more it's more even about just you at that point, right? Because yeah. now you're a bishop of, you know, probably the one of the biggest faith faith in yeah. the whole world. Um, and now the destruction that falls from 
your pedestal. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, so. it's it's definitely harmful, and it's it's always a sad story. Like I, you know, I, I don't agree with Catholic dogma at all. I believe that they are that they are preaching a different Jesus, and 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 it's yeah, I don't agree with Catholic doctrine and all that. But um, but just like you said, but people um, people get hurt. People get hurt and then they associate that with the truth. They associate that with God. So whenever they experience a trauma or something of that nature uh, coming from that source, they attribute it to God. And, you know, sometimes I think it's like God just looking down and like, I had nothing to do with that. that. You're you're blaming me for something I had nothing to do with. Like, come on. Yeah, that's like the old old jerk, jerk. Yeah, he is a jerk too. But the old joke that you hear, you know, and this guy's leaving church and he goes out there and he sees Satan sitting on the curb mm-hmm. crying. And he would just like, Satan, what's going on? He said, Them church people are in there blaming me for stuff I never even did. So I was preaching to the, to the teenagers one time and I'm like, I'm like, you really think that Satan, like capital S, the devil, you know, capital Mr. D devil, Mr. Satan, right? Do you actually think that he's going to be messing with you like you are the important one that you know he mm-hmm. can be he said man if i was that guy right i would be messing with world leaders world systems governments and like you know the the economic welfare of uh, the global system that's where that's where i would be messing with right i wouldn't be like hey do you want to go you want to go vape yeah you want to go vape like no man. Well, you know, you said it this morning. Is, is some of the stuff is our fault when we tell our our young people to follow their passions? Mm. You know, because a thirteen year old following his a thirteen year old boy following his passions is taking him between the sheets. Yeah, you know, not you know, <laughs> not any you know crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of this stuff is uh, failures on the leadership in in churches yeah. these days. So. Yeah, it ain't God. Yeah, interesting. All right, so I got this song, and I wish I would have heard the song before. I uh, and I don't want to talk bad about the uh, about the people that did the song, but I, I'm kind of jaded a little bit because of the video. But let's just listen to a little bit of the song and then and then we'll we'll kind of comment on it. Sometimes I wonder, is he faithful? Does he see me in my trouble? Does he understand? Sometimes I question if he's a. Sometimes those voices try to tell me I'm forgotten and I'm falling too far from his hands. But I know what kind of God he is and I'm trusting in his promises. I'm believing and I'm singing. Yes, he Oh, yes, he can. Oh, did he 
that is Kane. Yes, he can. And I mean, I feel like the song is a good song. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's done well. It's got it's, it's got a you know a good feel to it. Um, but like, I think the the video just it just did me wrong. I don't know why. I couldn't. I I was looking upside down, so I was missing the first part of it. Where, where he was like at a school or something. He was at a coffee shop, you know, and they were getting all the coffee shop thing together, and then they transferred. Like he went through like different scenes of th- this like this group going and helping people get through whatever they're going through. Little okay. boy was missing the basketball shop, and they showed up, and then he got the power. He made the basketball, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and then a guy was running, and he was getting tired, and then they showed up, and God come through again and it was just one of those things the guy was going through you know uh, therapy on his knee and then he was really struggling and then they show up and then god gave him the power to keep pushing on and uh so yes he can you know I and mean, yeah. god can bring you through anything and i don't know man i think the song was good but i wish i would have heard it before i seen the video of all the <laughs> corny orange yeah. stuff going on and and uh that type of stuff i don't know man um <laughs> Sometimes the visuals, when they sit down, even when you see certain commercials, you're like, who got in the conference room and said, uh-huh. that's a good idea. Yeah, uh-huh. That's a great that's idea. That's a great idea. And I know this, some of this stuff is just, you know, um, these young people getting together and they, they think it's a good time. And Well, the video looked like a cult. That's, I'm just saying they look like they were a part of like some Jesus. <laughs> right. Like, it fake. was all like the same color. You felt like you was yeah. in like a, a, a Hallmark fall festival movie. Yeah. Everybody's wearing oranges and different things like that. So well, I don't know. Have you ever seen that documentary? Uh, I think it's like a Vice documentary on a Siberian Jesus. No, yeah, no. Th- there's a uh, there's a Jesus in imposter, or he claims to be Jesus. And, oh and, yes, and a, I did. Yes, yeah, in Siberia. Oh, and, that dude was weird. Yeah, super weird. And uh, and yeah, but no, he's got a gigantic. No, uh, wait, is it Siberia? It's not or is Siberia, it Australia, Australia. I think Australia, it's Australia. Of course, because that's where Jesus would be. Um, Down under. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, it's a crazy documentary, man. Like, like people follow him; they believe he is Messiah. It's- yeah, and so does he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just off, man. And uh, but yeah, like he, he, like he has some really like ties to some world leaders and different things like that. So, um, very interesting. Anyways, um, today we're going to talk about a podcast that's out right now, and I suggest you go out there and listen to it. It's the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And um, I'm drawing a blank. What's the pastor's name? Mark Driscoll. Mark, Mark Driscoll. Yeah, and it's a and it's a, a, a produced by Christianity Today, and it is a fantastic, fantastic kind of documentary style uh, look at uh, at this church, Mars Hill. Um, and it's cool because they're doing a podcast on a podcast. Yeah, which is and really it, good. And it's not it's not a a, a, a podcast like style that we do with conversation is it's a story they're they're telling a story and they they bring people in to tell their version of the story really really well done yeah christianitytoday.com if you haven't have you, have you ever uh, seen that website I, it's a go to for me sometimes to go see what's going on in, in the world of church mm-hmm. and um but yeah man I think it's a, it's really if if you've been around church long enough you've heard uh Mark Driscoll and the, some of the things he's done he built a a church empire, you know, it's one of the, mm-hmm. the, the bigger mega churches that were out there. Uh, he got named uh, the cussing pastor mm-hmm. uh, because he was real aggressive by some of the things he does. So we're going to play the, uh, the trailer to the podcast real quick. 
This whole of Christianity is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In 1996, a young, brash pastor named Mark Driscoll planted Mars Hill Church in Seattle. I always tell people, I'm Irish, we have two emotions, pissed off and asleep. That's our spectrum. By 2014, they'd grown into a church of nearly 15,000 people in 15 locations in four states. Fast forward, though, to January 1st, 2015, and Mars Hill was gone. In some ways, Mars Hill's story is like no other. But in others, it's a window into much that shapes the evangelical church in North America today. There's a body count of young pastors whose ability rose them to prominence before their character was ready for it. The prevailing justification for pretty much all the carnage that happened within Mars Hill was, hey, look at the fruit. What we see on platforms, on social media, on Sunday mornings, can often be a veneer hiding a culture that's much more complex and sometimes ugly underneath. He could demand absolute obedience, and he did. So you question him, you're out. You know, you're, if you're not with us, you're against us. And yet the ugliness gets tolerated because what's happening in a church like Mars Hill can be so stunning. I'm in the tank baptizing people. Like they were just coming in the clothes. It was overwhelming. We didn't have towels. We didn't have shirts. It was beautiful. And so then you're like, ah, you know, so I got yelled at in the meeting. But on the whole, pretty amazing week. From Christianity Today comes a new podcast. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's an exploration of the story we think we know. A story about power, platform, and fame. But it's a bigger story, too. We want to understand how this keeps happening. And we want to take an unflinching look at the cost of this phenomenon. You know, you served on a staff like this. You didn't really think it had an impact on you. But two years later, you find yourself in my office talking about a little bit of depression and a little bit of anxiety. Oh, and by the way... I have these constant headaches, and I'll say, well, that's trauma. It just felt like death. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That was pretty intense right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a couple things he said, uh, he said, either you're on the bus or you get ran over by it. Yeah. That, that was a pretty interesting line. And the other one is, which I think happens in a lot of churches, businesses, families, mm -hmm. is you have a certain amount of success. And because you're having that success, you ignore the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. yeah. You ignore the the thing that hurts that that is that doesn't feel good, and, and you you allow those things, and it happens a lot of times in marriages that you have a lot of success in certain areas, but there's that ugly thing that also hurts so bad, but you push it down because you have kids, or you, you in, in other areas of your life you're successful because you have the big house and the, you know the expensive cars and the driveway, so you push down the. The ugliness, and ugliness that goes on after the kids go to bed, or everybody else tells you how great your relationship, how great is. your relationship. Oh, you got that, you know, leave it to Beaver thing going on, and yeah. this and that, and and they don't realize mm -hmm. what goes on when you all go home, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot of what's going on in here. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, what was going on here is if you didn't get in line with what he was saying and what he was going, you was getting ran over by the bus, and he was happy that the. Bodies were piling up over it. You know, he was yeah. one of the, those those things. And well, that in that clip specifically, 
he said that he said that right after they had a uh, an elders meeting where they disqualified some elders, two of them, and uh, and then afterwards that's what he started getting into. So over the pulpit, he was he was using the pulpit already as a as as a place to bash his leadership mm-hmm. in the church, and all the other leadership knew what he, exactly what he was doing, yeah. um, and all that. And I've I've they've just recently released episode eight, and I have not heard that one yet, but they're about what uh, easily an hour apiece. Yeah, but, they're about an hour apiece. Yeah, uh, ma- um, masterpieces. Yeah, they're very good. And the, and the production that you heard in that carries over through the whole thing. Yeah. So I mean, it's just it really done, done and, well. And they talk about they talk about I mean, just the, the the beginnings of Mark Driscoll, which is the pastor that all of this centers around. And uh, but then they also talk about the internal leadership structures. Um, uh, how he rose to prominence, uh, red flags. Things dealing with marriages and the the cultural dynamic of the of the church, and um, I mean, just so many areas that are involved in a church setting. You know, we were um, I was having a conversation again today on some of these things, and I know we're always talking about church people. We say church people, and then everybody goes, Ugh. "Yeah," you know, because and then it's us. Yeah, it's <laughs> us. It's us. But you know, you, you think about this dynamic, right? You people are being called out of darkness and into God's truth. And essentially the model anyway, is that we have a program that walks them through that transformation process. And then they get there, they get there, they abandon what they've known. They start taking God's ways. And, and, and in all of that, there's still a lot of humanity they have to deal with a lot of, a lot of uh, thought processes and, and, and methodologies that they've had over the years. And 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 yet things get messy and they get messy super super quick, right? But but uh, for for like preachers and and for people that just are passionate about their faith and they care about serving at their local churches and all that, uh, we we can get very bitter when it comes to church people, yeah. you know, big time. Um, but you know, one thing that was it's always super helpful is it's. It's always remembering the purpose behind it. And, and like we talked about last week, communicating the heart of the gospel. What is the heart of the gospel? And the heart of the gospel, it centers, of course, around Jesus, but his love for people. And, uh, and if we forget that, then, then, you know, is it really church? Right. And I, and I think we have to remember when we're, we're, when we're thinking about this and when we're navigating through church and through our, our, our walk with the Lord that, I mean, how many times did, did Jesus pull the disciples aside and go, hey, man, come on, let's get together. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been walking with me for a while. You should you should have got this already. You know, and he pulls them to the side. And it's the same way with the leadership in the church. Like, once you begin to peel back the onions, you really find out that even the leadership sometimes, I'm not, I mean, hopefully it's not your pastor, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm talking about leaderships of ministry and different things. Guess what? They're going through a lot of things in their life too. Yeah. You know, they're not the perfect people. They're disciples just like the rest of us. And and they're walking that their faith out. They might be a few years ahead of you, but that just means they're, they've experienced some problems that you haven't experienced yet. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And I think when we get in trouble is when we stop listening to the people around us. And, and I think that's a lot of, a lot what, uh, Mark Driscoll was going through right here is that he he reached a certain status, a certain celebrity that he quit listening to the people 
that helped him build the ministry that he built. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those episodes, uh, his former accountant talks about that. Yeah. And she, uh, she made a statement to somebody else. She was asked a question, right? She was asked the question, what would, you know, what would be good for Mark or whatever? And she, and I'm sorry, I didn't. No, 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 no. Just exactly that. Well, you know, what's one thing that he needs. And, and she said something to the effect of men that will keep him accountable, you know, and that, that's, that's a very Christian thing to say. Well, it got back to him, and he uh, he not only fired her, he also la- labeled her a heretic, and for the entire church to excommunicate her. That's the worst thing that you can do in, you know, whenever some you're excommunicated for from a uh, church. Now we're in a non-denominational church, and and, and so we we don't really experience those kind of things because that's not necessarily in our. We have done that in the past, but it's it's just it's very rare, right? To where because it's one church, yeah, right. When we're talking about the Southern Baptist. Like, okay, now you can't go to any Southern Baptist in the United States. Yes, you're done. You're done. Now Now there's thousands of churches now you can't go to. Now you have to go to the Second Baptist or the First Baptist. You can't go to <laughs> Southern Baptist, you know? So it's a bigger deal than it is, is, oh, you can't go to Elam Church no more, so now you just go down the street to the, your, your local whatever yeah. church. So, yeah. Yeah. And she was excommunicated, and that's, that's, that's really severe. But... You know, this guy, Mark Driscoll, have you ever heard him? Whenever I was listening to these episodes, and I've heard some of Mark Driscoll's preachings before. I'm sure you have, too. If you've been around for, you know, a little bit, you've heard something from him. And I found myself agreeing with 95, 96, 97% of his preaching because it is very biblical. It is very well thought out. But there are some... There are some things there that are more narcissistic tendencies that you can tell that uh, that, that that he had that he deals with that he struggles with, and and uh, things that are about him being the center, self-aggrandizement. Those those you know, the universe essentially uh, revolves around you, as you heard just right in that clip that they took the church from just a handful of people to where before it it fell, it was fifteen thousand people. Yeah. You know, to put that in perspective, I mean, that's, you know, that that's gigantic. That's that's 30 times the size of Elam Church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it was interesting in the very beginning where they they said that um, as he was coming up, because he was very well educated. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't one of these Pentecostal preachers where, you know, you did well in the church and you kind of worked your way up through the Sunday school class. And then you become a, you know, the, the men's leader and then you become an associate pastor. No, he, w- he, he went to theology schools and got the degrees and all those. And he was a standout in, in every step of the way. From reformed theology. Yeah. And if you know anything about reformed theology, I mean, they, they know their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not they're not the one that the atheists are going to come in and get over on you, you know, because the atheists, they, they know your 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 religion better than you do. Uh-huh. Um, the reforms, are, you know, they're going to they're there are a lot of dog, dogmatic people because they're hard into the word. Um, but I thought it was they said that he had lots of success early because mm-hmm. he, he was a very good leader. Right. He was a very and all the big names, all all the big names were co-signing him and on not just in the reform camp as well, but but just in in all of the church culture. I mean, all the big names, they wanted this kid, you know, they 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 fostered his growth because they saw a potential. He was doing things. 
he was doing very exciting things, but not necessarily in a progressive way. He was giving them the same information that they were giving them, but he was presenting it in a different way. And yeah, they, they kind of, uh, they put this kind of a moniker on him about being like, a the punk rock spirit that that church, it was a punk rock spirit. I actually visited Mars Hill in uh, 2010 in, really? C- in Seattle. We drove by there. Uh, we were dropping off my friend and, uh, seminary and a different seminary, not, not, nothing to do with Mars Hill, but, uh, man, uh, right in, in the heart of Seattle, right there, we, and we passed by it and it looked so weird, man. And this was before the, the 2014 downfall. Right. So it was still operational. Um, but it was uh, the church was completely blacked out building. You got skyscrapers in the in the Seattle's you know, skyline and all that building completely blacked out and uh, with red accents on it. And, you know, you're like, <laughs> is, is that a church? Like, really? And um, and in case I'm sure, even if you're not familiar with Morris Hill, you're you're probably sure of some of the things that came out of it. Uh, King's Kaleidoscope. Have you ever heard that band? They came out of there. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, well, he really promoted that punk rock um, culture. Like yeah. he really went out and, and and found some of those people and mm-hmm. was bringing them into the church, and they were wearing the, you know, the the. The leather, black leather stuff on stage and the yeah. crazy wild hairs and different things like that. Yeah. So he was really promoting it. And even some of the more conservative people that were coming into the church, they were like put off to it. But at the same time, like the way he um, presented the gospel, you couldn't, you, there was no foul in it. Yeah. You know, so they look past some of the, the, the crazy stuff because of the successes of the church, because the gospel was being presented in a correct right. way. Right. And this was a time before social media, as we know it, uh, a time before YouTube, a time before, you know, any of this stuff. Now you, you go to you look at any church's live stream now and you got a whole bunch of cartoon characters on the platform. Right. But that wasn't that wasn't the case. 20 years ago right there's before the sneakers and preachers and all that stuff before yeah. all of that so this is you know and and yes even though you got places like uh because like lakewood 20 years ago wasn't that way right um, um you did have hillsong but hillsong was nowhere the global presence that it was that it is today uh-huh. you know so it was really on the cutting edge of of this kind of progressive encounter the culture but with a very weird reform theology like it made a lot of sense. It drew a lot of people, and he is a very dynamic preacher. Like you want to listen to him. Yeah, yeah I still enjoy his messages. Like the, stu- the older stuff that he's done, it's just it's very relevant today. Um, but it, it got to the point where celebrity something happened because they even talk about it into the podcast where, um. At first, he wasn't even like he was totally against the mega church, mm-hmm. right? That he was going to take the local church and he was going to invest in them. And, you know, the people were. They would talk about how like how gracious that he was with his time and his money and his home. And he lived close to the church. And as people would be in, you know, they would visit their like, say your husband went went into the, the hospital, he would open up his basement and, and give them a place to stay and really invest them and invest in them and, and go to the hospitals. And he would do all this stuff early on. And so the, the people had nothing but great things to say because he was doing the local pastor thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was a time where it switched 
that he started getting into effort, and I forgot the gentleman's name. That Rick Warren. Rick Warren. Yeah, he the, uh, the ministry, his ministry books right. that came out. Uh, so he really started getting into a lot of the Rick Warren stuff and Rick Warren. And if you don't know about Rick Warren, he's a global pastor. Yeah. You know, he's got churches from the East coast to the West coast and from, uh, China to the Arabic nations and different things like that. So, um, uh, he's really started getting into that stuff. And, and then that's when something clicked, something changed that when he was going to, he was going to build his own empire, Yeah, you know? And, uh, that's when people really started seeing the difference. Yeah, yeah, and then and one of the biggest uh, we heard it right in the in the beginning of that clip there, where it was talking about how whenever all this responsibility and all this uh, this attention comes your way, because there is a lack of character that is yet to be built up in you because of lack of accountability and people holding you, you know, that, holding your feet to the fire and uh, and uh, making you answer for some of the things that you do, but because the your character is not formed, you're going to eventually fail. And that is, that's monumental for anybody in leadership, whether it's in church or not. The moment that we become a God unto ourselves and that our word is final and everything, that's the moment where, uh, where it's all going to go wrong for you. You know, it, and it's, it's easy to come by because I remember um, earlier on, in my ministry when I was a couple years into the youth pastor thing and I really started hitting my um, stride. Yeah, my stride, my ministry stride. And then something happened to my preaching where I went from just being an okay. Pre- and I don't want to. I don't want to say no, this. Flex. Go ahead. I, I'm really not flexing at all. But <laughs> something his arms right now. He's just <laughs> something yeah. happened over about a seven or eight month period where my preaching went to a different level. Not that it's great, but it just, it went from one level to another. And I began to really get my stride there. And people really started coming after me and saying, Hey man, you, you know, you're my favorite preacher and man, I can't wait till you preach next time. And, you know, I'm going to go back and listen to your old stuff. And they're really just pumping me up, man. And, and that, and if it wasn't for my wife, man, I could, I could have really fell off into that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, but when she started reminding me, not that I was going anywhere, but she seen the praises coming. And then before it even started, she would just like, remember who you are. Yeah. Remember where God has brought you from. Remember your, but also look where you're going. And so I had those people in my life that really leaned into me at a time that it could have went either way. Yeah. You know, and as leaders, you could do you could do one of two things. You can listen to the people around you that are challenging you. Um, maybe you're getting a little bit too liberal with the word or maybe you're using too many of the scriptures. Half of the scripture dot, 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 yeah. you know, and you don't mm-hmm. want to go into the second half because it doesn't fit in your, yeah. in, your message. In, in your message or and, and I'm not I'm not making fun of anybody but you use the certain translations that fit better you know and we all do it we it's not that we're trying to pick and choose what the bible says but we're just trying to you know get our point across so everybody can understand it but sometimes you use it to your advantage 
instead of using what the gospel says. Right. Uh, so. Right. And then, you know, you're whenever you're talking about being put in that kind of position to where you have an authority over people, it is a drug. Um, you know, James, I'm, you, you know, this as well as being on the stage. About one, drugs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> about drugs. And, no, no, it's just, but there is, there is this natural high, the dopamine hits yeah. that, that, you know, are naturally created within you whenever you, you, you share something that you are passionate about and then people are reciprocating that energy back to you. And because of the nature, especially in church of what that is, you know, you're talking about a relationship that is, that is the deepest possible relationship you're ever supposed to have. And that's with you and God that you, you are elevated to this point um, of where they see Jesus, then they see you and then it's them. And they put you as the leader in that transaction. And a lot of responsibility now is on your shoulders. And that's why like in, in this last year or so we've done, how many stories have we done where pastors have had some moral failure or something? Yeah. It's so easy and and especially if you if your character is not built up manipulation it's it's so easy to manipulate people yeah. you can you can manipulate people to do whatever you want if uh you know if you if you put the right carrot in front of them yeah here's a question i want so do you think because it seems like obviously there was a lot of really bad evil stuff that came out of the whole situation but uh, like you mentioned in the beginning, like there was, it was doing a lot of good. They were growing the church and all that kind of stuff. And he had a lot of good sound preaching or whatever. So do you think it's more of a case of uh, he was on the right track, really genuine and just somewhere along the way kind of got corrupted and things went bad? Or do you think it was more of bad intent from the beginning that just kind of grew and he was just deceptive at the beginning and then finally kind of showed his true colors later on. I, but I think, I think even all the way through his intentions were well. Yeah. I think so. I think that. <clears throat> so you he, think he just got caught up in it and just. I, I think that there were some blind spots that was created over time mm-hmm. um, that he wasn't seeing anymore mm-hmm. uh, because that he began to remove people out of his life that called attention to it. They called attention to it, but also kept him from getting to the vision that he had, that he felt like God had set forth for him. I'm the leader. God has given me this vision. I'm getting there. Well, that's good, but you have to have those same people around you to help you get to the vision that God has given you. Right. Yeah. And in the beginning he did, but right. like you said, he started weeding them out and, 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 and yeah, like, you know, you you look, you listen to some of the testimony of some of these guys that were around him, his leadership team, the people that he co-founded the church with and his elders and all that. And they, and they all said, they said that the, the telltale signs were absolutely evident and everybody knew it. The red flags were already there, but because of the, how fast success came and the amount of baptisms they were doing, the church was exponentially growing. Yeah. It, then those things are like, well, he's kind of rough in this area, but we're going to just kind of look over, brush it under the rug because there's a lot of growth taking place. So, you know, the, the, I guess, what is it? The ends justify the means. Right. When there, you, there's so many salvations that were happening. Like you felt like, okay, God, I will take some of this negativity because there's so much growth going on. Like, how can you, how can you say, no, I'm going to interrupt this great thing. 
all these salvations for happening because I can't take Mark Driscoll's sharp turn sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but what happens is that it grew mm-hmm. because it wasn't stopped. And because somebody was saying, Hey man, that's, that's, that's not right. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse, which means that you co-sign it saying it's okay. Yeah. 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 And then his popularity and how that natural thing happens whenever you want to hold on to your pastor, you protect your pastor, you, right. You, you become very passionate about his safety and all that as he grows and he becomes this very focal and vocal part in their life that, and this is the guy that's telling them, this is how you live your life. Right. Um, that, your fan base gets bigger. They, they get more passionate about it. So whenever there's any kind of pushback uh, from anybody saying, no, you, we, we need to go back and, and kind of review this, what's going on here. Then it's so easy whenever you have your fan club, right. To say that they're not, you're just attacking. You're just attacking our pastor. That's not the spirit of God. Yeah. We need more unity in the church, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and we can't, you know, th- that's not the way that, that big boy church is supposed to be done. What no. was his upbringing like? Did he grow up in the church? No, no, no. He had a alcoholic father, I yeah. think so. And mm-hmm. then, uh, so it, he so had, when did he get saved? College, right? His mm-hmm. wife, him and his wife started seeing each other in college and she kind of like, um, started letting him go to church. And I think it was kind of a rough deal there for a little while too. And then he finally, something finally snapped or he began to see, uh, the truth. Yeah. Um, but described as a, always a man's man. Yeah. Always a man's man. And I th- that's something we really need to get into, but you know, we, we talk about this, like this is something that, you know, happens to other people and other churches and other things. But, um, you know, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, we, de- we dealt with some of the stuff in our own church. Uh-huh. You know, we had, we had a youth pastor that, um, and let's not mention any names or anything like that, but yeah, we had, I was wondering a, if y'all were going to bring that. Yeah. Up. We had a youth pastor that had some of the same, the <laughs> same issues that was, you know, had a master's degree in theology and had all the right credentials, um, had a huge, I mean, he, he had the, probably had the largest youth group that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I heard somewhere around 200 students yeah. at one time on, a, on Wednesdays. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, he had, if, if you walked in. It looked right. Yeah, I was there. It felt I right. You- yeah, I mean, you you served along with them, and, and but there was some things that were going on that were just not right. You know, it's funny because looking back, because I was like seventeen, I guess at the time, and so there would be things, and I would just get like a uh, like he would just rub me the wrong way uh, with some of the way he would act a little bit, some of the things he would say, but like like you y'all said with this one, like he was getting results, like kids were coming there, and like. Today, just kind of knowing, just being a little more spiritually sound, I guess, because I'm not a teenager anymore. Uh, if I was in the same kind of environment today or same kind of situation, rather, like I would have probably called it out more. Yeah. But at the time, you know, you're a teenager. These are, you know, that's your youth pastor. Like, yeah. am I supposed, what am I supposed to say if yeah. I think, I don't think he's fit to and doing things right, you know? And I think that you kind of, you see that in his, the, the leadership that he had around him was a bunch of young Young people. Yeah, it was a bunch of teenagers that like just got saved last week, you yeah. know, and now they're leading the church. And, and then he and had I'm a, sitting there like, I've been here since I was five, and I don't feel like these kids know what they're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean? you know and, and it was one, just one of those things that it just, because of the results and because of the credentials and because of all those things. And, and the sad part about it is that 
he went on to an, another church and it happened again and he went on to another church and it happened again. And until that, I mean, he basically left the faith and ended up in jail and, and stuff like that because the, his faith, not his faith, his knowledge was learned. All that was really set into him and people were, you know, from, from his colleges and all those things, they were really pouring into him on that side. But you know, who he was as a man, um, either somebody failed to pour into that part of it or he rejected it, you know? And I think probably both. Yeah, probably both. And I, you know, and I, and he had parents that both, you know, both of them went to church and they was in ministry, but we don't know what was it really like behind doors? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I, I remember, um, and y'all would know this young man if I said his name, but like very influential man in our church, you know, and of course, you know, as a youth pastor, you know, things that other people don't know because the kids come and they like, pastor David, let me talk to you about something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, my dad cussed me out all the way to church. The kid probably deserved it. You know, because he was being a teenager. But when you find out who the the the, the father is, it was just like, oh no, yeah. You know, yeah. and this is what the kids are having to deal with. They're having to deal with this is who my dad is in church, and everybody respects him, and all yeah. these different things. And then at home, they're being cussed out. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I I just remember the youth pastor you're talking about, I remember he would like have conversations with me where he was just like looking for all this approval and like, uh, this validation and stuff. And he would be like, and I, I was never mean to the guy. We're nice. We're cool. You know, we was fine or whatever, but like, it was always this like nagging, like, please tell me I'm doing a good job. Please tell me how great you think I am. And I just wasn't doing that stuff. And he would say like, he would be, he'd be like, I don't, do you even like me? Do you like me? I don't feel like you even like me. And so I'm like, what are you talking about? dude? Like, <laughs> And That's so just, funny because I would never ask anybody that question. Yeah, like, I'd like, like, just be afraid they'd be like, nah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had youth come and tell me, I don't like you. <laughs> I didn't like not like him. And it's not like I don't like him now. I mean, I haven't talked to dude in 10 years or whatever. But it was just like I wasn't, you know, he had literally like over 100 kids just like falling at his feet, basically, like, you're the greatest thing ever. And I yeah. was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, sure, wait, what time you need me there? I'll be there. Wait, Like, that was me, and so he wasn't getting that. And you could just see all this insecurity and all these things that just weren't fulfilled coming yeah. up in him all the time. And as a teenager, you're like, why is this guy the dude who's leading me? Yeah. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That, that's funny that you say that because I was having a conversation with my parents today. My parents came over, and we just was talking for, like, three hours, which is always awesome for me. Um, but we were, you know, we were talking about somebody said something to, to my mom and, and I, and I was t- telling her as a pastor, you're expected to be a counselor and all these other things. So mm-hmm. by fire, you learn certain things, you learn how to be a counselor, you know, and you always hear the, it's not what they're saying, but you're trying to figure out what they're saying, what's behind that, yeah. and what's the meaning of what yeah. they're saying. Like, why are they saying? Yeah, it because what they're saying is not the issue. Uh-huh. It's the result of the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? so it wasn't like he needs to. It wasn't. Do you like me? It was like, why do you need to know that I love you? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So there was, there's a void in his, in his life somewhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think Driscoll was probably going through some daddy issues. Oh, you yeah, know, that's why time. he was a man's man. That's why he was, I'm the, you know, the biggest dog on the block. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, this, y'all going to follow me if you don't like mm-hmm. it. Bounce because there was a void in his life of his dad. And that calls out to, especially whenever you're looking at reform, that's very, more often than not, it's very conservative thoughts, right? Politically, socially, it's a very conservative mindset that usually follows reform theology. So whenever you got somebody that's coming onto the scene, and especially you got to remember during this time in the church world, that's whenever the whole seeker sensitive movement was really hitting. So there was no, there was nobody standing in the gap there for men and masculinity because masculinity this was the this was the uh the where, where the where, where the toxic masculinity was starting to really you know just come into the social sphere and all that and you get this guy come up and he's he's the one holding the line he's the yeah. one we you know this is what a man is supposed to look like it calls out to you mm-hmm. that's that's that leadership part that if if that's what you're looking for. You're going to, nope, that's my pastor right there. Yeah. And uh, and you accept some of his faults. That yeah. kind of thing is the whole argument for Trump. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And everything that he said about um, who a man was supposed to be and how a man was supposed to act biblically was right on. Mm-hmm. You know, he called a meeting um, to hit the men of his church. And it was back in the day when you had message boards. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had this like avatar of whoever this uh, you know this guy was there there was this one avatar and this guy was like super brash and yeah. you know you you peas you need to be here if you're not here but you know don't come to church on Sunday this is for the men of the church and and then he and then there was Mark Driscoll avatar mm-hmm. you know it was just like the pastor mm-hmm. you guys need to be here we're going to sp- speak into your life well it c- yeah. comes out both of them are him yeah. You know, and so he's he's balancing this this man's man and getting into their stuff. And then there's a pastor on the other side. Um, I think at one time he forgot like what avatar he was. <laughs> yeah. And like he was like really went in on him as as him. crazy, man. you know. But what happened in that meeting was he basically called these men out and said, mm-hmm. look. You are supposed to be the, the the leader of your household, and then you're telling you, you, but you can't tell your wife that you know she needs to do all these things when you're making her work forty or fifty hours a week. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have both. You need to be the man that God has called you to be. And after all this stuff, after he went in on them for three hours straight and just tore them from you know one end to the other, the guys actually came out of it and. To this day, even after all of these things that happened, these guys are like the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Because he taught them what a man of God was supposed to be. And even the wives were like, man, at first it was kind of tough because they were, you know, leading our house and they never led it before. And, and we felt like we were putting on the, the back burner and different things like that, which society was, you know, we went through the whole movement of them being yeah. able to vote and get jobs and being equal and all this and now this guy's telling them we didn't go through them voting that was a long time ago that might have just been you <laughs> oh no no not uh, us yeah. i'm talking about <laughs> as a society and here now this guy is saying no the men are supposed to be superior yeah okay. you know um so but even to this day even the women were going yeah yeah you know, that felt good not not to have to worry about anything else besides taking care of the home. Yeah. And where there's, you know, that 
that paradox that that takes place in the story of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll is that from the same accounts and the same story, you got those that would say, man, it was the best thing that could ever happen to me. And then you got those that come out of it that say there was so much abuse that was taking place and and so much toxicity that was involved at that moment that we're still healing from it and then you look at both sides and they both have valid points and that's why it was very difficult for me to and still is to listen to to that podcast the the rise and fall of mars hill because i i i hear stories i hear his preaching and i say amen but then but then there's a part of me that makes me sick yeah. Because I know, I, I know that with the, with just the, uh, you know, if if I tweak, if I tweak my very own preaching or my very own thoughts, even by one degree, that I'll land exactly where he is, mm-hmm. you know, and that that is scary. That is scary because in, yeah, you know, you look at doctors, you look at lawyers, a lawyer messes up, somebody ends up in prison, a doctor messes up, they kill him, a preacher messes up, and you're talking about, you're talking about something, there's souls, you know, that, that, there's a big weight, there's a, there's a responsibility there that, that, you know, that's why it is the greatest calling, it's the most, it's the, it is, it is because you're dealing with people's souls, their eternal souls. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the avalanche effect, right? Because if you want it or not, as a leader, you're placed on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. right? And the people are looking up at you. So when you fall, when you make mistakes, it's the avalanche effect. Mm -hmm. The things that you do fall downhill and they create, havoc below you mm-hmm. and hurts and pains and, and different things like that. And, and that you feel like you're covered up by the sin of this man and you can't breathe because of the sin of him. You mm-hmm. know, you're covered up by his sin and, and, and it's just like this snow that's rolling down the mountain. Yeah. You know? um, power team pastor. What's his name? Um, can he, can, uh, oh, geez. Pa, uh, yes. Hold up! Not, I know not it. Kenan Smith. Kenan is yeah, no, 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 before him. No, no, no. I was Kenan, okay, Kenan, Kenan, Kenan Smith. Kenan, okay. Kenan, Kenan, Kenan. Yeah, and now he's a senior pastor of Crosby Kenan, Crosby Church, yeah. and he did our men's advance one year, and he, uh, I remember him talking about this concept, and he says that. He says that, you know, throughout your life and your successes, you're going to have a lot of people taking off their hats to you. He said, that's not a bad thing uh, for preachers and for people that have that kind of responsibility. He said, where it gets bad for you is that whenever you pick up that hat that they've taken off for you and you start wearing it like you actually are somebody. Right. And I've seen that happen too many times to people in the church, whether they're they have a, 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 a pastorate or not where they experience some some spiritual successes they're doing good and then they actually think there are that there's something now that that this only works because of them mm-hmm. and and then you see the the influence around them and how people big them up all the time and they're it's almost like they're encouraging they're encouraging this behavior that they are just not spiritually mature enough to see yet. Just kind of like what you were talking about that youth pastor. Mm-hmm. I never met that, that guy. Right. Cause that was, that was right before I got to Elam. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but even to this day, 
somebody that some some old schooler that's there they're they're like oh yeah by the you know by the way when so-and-so did this or look i'm not even i wasn't even here when that and i still hear stories about some of the you know i still get backlash from that and i'm like Mm -hmm. how i i've never met the dude before but yet the effects of of just some of the tomfoolery that he was involved in there and what he was doing because how long did he pastor nine eleven months something like that like a year or something yeah Yeah, it was under a year Yeah. yeah that that i do know and uh, yeah yeah but like i hear stories and this guy was hitting on different people on on teenagers on married women on yeah, yeah that was a trial by fire because i was the pastor that followed yeah me, right yeah so um and i was used to do it and i think that like this is important especially when you have a fall like of a church like how do you meet the needs of the people that are left Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's where I came in because there was, there was those youth that as I was preaching, looked at me, literally looked at me and said, when is this other youth pastor coming back? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. And, Mr. Dynamic 200 students in the building. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, his last message was him ripping his shirt off in this dramatic end, you know, and I forgot about that. And I'm not, yeah. I'm like, I'm never ripping my shirt off. You <laughs> I know? Being like, what are you doing? Yeah. No, nah, but you walk down the, you walk down the hall and you're tidy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was like this dynamic, like w- now what do I do? Like, yeah. I've never been in this situation before. I've never been in, in, in a ministry where I had to pick the pieces up. And, and so I, I came at it one way, like I would always do ministry. And then I had, I miss Chris, you know, Richardson. She came to me and she was just like, Hey David, can I talk to you? And, you know, I served next to miss Chris, you know? And so I, she had my ear and I trusted her and she was just like, Hey man, this is not working. You know, what you're doing right now, these kids need something different. This is, this is not a regular situation. And, uh, I could have said, Hey, I'm slowing the bus down. It's time to get off. Yeah. You know, and we had that discussion, right? And uh, but instead, I had she had my ear, and I was just like, okay, let me reevaluate. And we begin to have a conversation of like, how do we pick the pieces up? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we minister to these kids that thought that this guy was everything? And on the other side, of this I had, which these were a lot of street kids that were being picked up at apartments and different things like that. And then on the other side of that, you had the church kids that were forgotten. You know, you had the church kids that would stop coming on Wednesday nights because it was an outreach instead of for them. Mm -hmm. So I had to like begin to pray and ask God, like, what do we do now? Like, what, what is it? What is this ministry? Is this ministry for the church kids or is it an outreach? And, and I begin, and then I had, it almost was one of those things where God was telling me, man, you got to draw a line. Like we have to minister to these kids that are coming to this church and we, then we have to do outreach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. I, I'm, uh, uh, Arnold, you know, he was faithful. He would get there, he would leave work, come there, get the van, go pick these kids up Mm -hmm. and they would treat him bad, you know, and say, you know, just terrible things to him. And, and, you know, the hardest thing I ever had to do was tell him, no, we're not picking these kids up anymore. You know, um, because I knew through all the noise, the kids that really wanted to know who Jesus was, were not getting it because there was so much noise going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, so that was something that, you know, we had to navigate 
And it was the same thing that when Rick Warren came on to the last day of, you know, Mars Hill, Mars Hill, he was just saying, today's the last day before you go off and you do your, your own thing. And basically all the churches that were a part of Mars Hill split off and they were going to be their own churches and they're going to have their own pastors. And when, when he was saying those things, it reminded me of that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have to pick up the pieces and we have to minister to the, the, the people that are, you know, that were in the accident that I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So some, some preventative measures that I've definitely taken in, in my life to where I, I don't ever want to be that guy that, that I demand to be served, right? I, I think the example is set out by Jesus and what he said. He said, how did I come? I came, I came to serve you, not to be served, yeah. you know? And, and what are you, are you above the station of your master? If, if I did this, this is your example. Whenever we see preachers take this exalted position and when they're too good to Carry their own Bible to the platform. That <laughs> vacuum, vacuum a carpet, plunge a toilet. Yeah, you know, get dirty. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's those are have always been red flags for me. Whenever I see that, and uh, because that's not the way I serve, you know, and 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 I know why I serve. I've had this conversation with multiple people throughout the years, but it's it's a question of humility, right? False humility is the worst. False humility has deception in it. Right. Uh, to say, oh, thank you, whatever. It's, it's fake. It's it's people can see right through that. Um, but only only a really a, a person that is humble, a person that is humble, I believe, is a person that recognizes how fast they can run to pride, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or how pride can can really get them. So in, in essence, uh, you know, the per- people that are showing humility are the ones that recognize it and are able to put blocks between that and knowing that you can get to a very proud place. And I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, well, that makes you proud, but knowing it and then putting systems in place in your own life, checks and balances, borders, restrictions. And then that's what puts you in a, in a humble spot. But whenever you get people that, that just, they want to be catered to, you know, and you get in those positions, those those leadership positions, and there's people that come and say, I want to be your armor bearer. Hey, well, praise God for the armor bearers, right? But whenever you allow that to get to your head, you know, then there's some issues. Boy, I tell you, when um, I went through it, I mean, and when, when we were trying to just really mend a lot of the broken ministry stuff, uh, I was trying to do everything. Uh, you know, I didn't, I was, I felt bad for asking Caesar to go do this and you James to do this. And I was trying to do it all on my own. And, and uh, I had a really good buddy of mine that he was, he was helping me, uh, brother Larry, he was, he came in and he was helping us right at first. And he had been the youth pastor for years and it was just one of those God things that he was in transition between churches and he came in and served with us. He was just like, David, and it's, it's a balance. It's a balance because he was just like, David, man, the people around you are wanting to serve Mm -hmm. and I was not letting them serve. So it was a balance of like letting that stuff go. But at the same time, just like, you know, you need help, you know? And then, uh, and then uh, Arnold, he was just like, I want to be, I want to be your uh, armor bearer. And I was just like, I don't need no armor. Bro. I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't need that guy to follow me around and different things like that. And then, um, my buddy Larry, he would just like, 
hey, have you ever read this book? And it was the Armor Bear book. And I was just like, yeah, I've, you know, I read it because that's who I was. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, every position I ever done was being an armor bearer for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if it was Calvin, if it was Jeremy, or if it was whoever it was, Pastor uh, Pastor Mark, Pastor Ron, all of those things, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to do everything I could do to make them look the best that yeah. they could ever look, mm-hmm. you know? But when it came to me, I was just like, no, nah, I don't need that, yeah. you know? And when I began to read the book again and I gave it to Arnold and I was just like, hey, man, can you hold up to these things? You know, can, can you do these things? And, uh, but it was one of those things that was easy to come out on the wrong side of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, because, you know, as a, as someone that's being served, you almost feel like you're being followed in everything you turn. And Arnold did a great job at it. Yeah. You know, yeah he, he, sure did, did. he did a, just a tremendous job, not being overbearing, but at the same time, it was, it was a spiritual thing. Like God knew, you know, he ordained that. And uh, so it was one of those things like, you turn around and then what you needed was there, you know, it was, it was an ordained thing, but yeah, it could be one of those things that, and I think as an armor bearer, when, when you see some of those bigger personalities and, and ministries, and when you have this people follow them around, it's a fine line. Like a lot of those guys are coming out of certain situations where they don't, they don't know how to fall in line to um, authority. Mm-hmm. You know, so it takes some 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 of those things where you you have to fall in line and different things like that. But some of it's a little bit, yeah, overboard. Yeah. And then you know, like we're we're about to uh, next year we're about to celebrate a hundred years at Elam, and uh, not not every church can say that. There's very few churches that can ever say that. I'm not saying that we've ever done everything perfect, not at all. But you know, we uh, I, I really believe that the heart of the house and and it's always been is being to pursue God, God is first, keep him as your, as your guiding light and everything's going to work out. When my first pastor, uh, my first pastor, he passed away early in his forties because of cancer. And I love the guy. I mean, he was, yes, he was a spiritual father, but he was like an earthly father to me too, especially because there was a void in my own life with my father at that time. Right. So I, I just held him in such high esteem. But one of the things that he was preaching right at the end of, of his life, he was saying that if the only reason that you come to this church is for me, he said, I have failed you as a pastor. You know, and that I mean, that just speaks volumes to me really every day. I probably quote him at least once every day. And 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 I see I see his heart for the sheep, for the people of God, for the flock of God and how he he always made it priority to emphasize Jesus above above name of church, Mm -hmm. above, you know, any any branding and it was always about Jesus and he said if you come because of anything else other than him I have failed you as being a pastor yeah it, I cringe every time I see uh, a name of a pastor on the side of a building yeah so and so ministries is yeah. like I don't I, that already for me is a it's a big strike I, no I mean I can see like if you're if you're not a pastor and you're working through a ministry or whatever and you, that, that's who you are and that's what you do but as a pastor to put his name on the side of the building as their ministry is it's really is tough because what happens is you you build the church off of a face mm-hmm. and then when the face disappears so does the church yeah, yeah. 
Yep. Because it's built off the it's built off the face and not the foundation. Absolutely, absolutely. I got one of those face and foundations. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the things that a, a very popular reformed preacher was kind of giving a, co- a commentary, a social commentary on on the landscape of uh, of pop pop culture church, and he uh, he said he said uh, turn turn the music off and see if you still have them. Mm. Turn all the music off and see if they still stay. Lecrae has a song that says after the music stops. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can bob our head and we can, we can, you know, it's always easier to sing the song when the the song is being played. But after, if you take the the words out of it, you don't know the song. (laughs) Right. Uh, There's so many of that, but like when the music stops, like. Yeah. And you look at, you know, and and again, no shade on these big churches right now. I I like what they do. We play their music. I listen to their music. I, I, I like it. Um, but you look at these gigantic movements that are taking place in Christianity. A lot of it has to do with the bands, the worship bands that come out of those houses. If you stop that there, they will, there's, it's impossible for them to be at those levels. The preaching from the, from the senior leadership and stuff. I mean, it's okay. It's nothing earth shattering. It's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a little country preacher doing it 10 times better. You know, when you talk about expositional preaching and what the, the word of God actually says, but it's not, you know, pop culture. Christianity is not based on the quality of the word. It's based on people going to a place to where people look like them, sound like them. Uh, they want a community that looks exactly like them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's always the big conversation, right? Should we pursue that? If we are, then how much of that, you know, do we incorporate? Where do we draw the line? It is so important. Um, um, because again, I think it's all manipulation, right? I think it's all manipulation, whether it's for financial gain or just for the 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 accolades of people respecting you, of you being held to such high esteem. It's a drug, and yeah. and and preachers, a lot of preachers, they feed off that. You see a lot of narcissistic tendencies yeah. in preachers, you know, and and I see it in myself. I see it in myself all the time, and. I got to stop it. Yeah. You know, I, I look at that and I, I, I'm just vocal about it because yeah. I recognize the depths that I can really go to, mm-hmm. but I have to stop it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very good. I think that's a, a good, a good place to stop. Um, but I just want to, just want to put this out there for outside the church. If you're out there and you're in a leader, leadership position at your job or your supervisor or manager or your, you know, the lead guy on, on your, your, your forklift crew or whatever it may be. It's the same for you too. Mm-hmm. Listen, God has placed you right where you are in your place of worship because most of the, most people that we talk to are not pastors. Right. And they're not leading the church, mm-hmm. but God has put us all in position of leadership mm-hmm. and it don't matter where that leadership is. You can, you can take advantage of it. You can use it to your advantage or you can, uh, do what God has called you to do, and that's lead from the position of of a place um, of of really what's the word I'm looking for um, of passion of who God has called you to be. Yeah, you know? just a genuine gratitude for for the salvation that He's yeah. given us. You know that 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 alone should be enough to why you serve the way that you serve with passion, because we were given. We were given something so beautiful 
that it's not it's not about rules and regulations. We know that the rules and regulations are there to help guide us. That those are the rails that keep the train on the track. Yeah, you know. But but it but I don't serve God because I'm afraid that I'm gonna break His commandments. I don't serve God because I I, I want to go to heaven. I don't serve God because I'm afraid of going to hell. I, I I serve God because He loves me. Yeah. And out of that genuine love that He has for you, hope hopefully you can you can try to reciprocate it. And and you know you might not it might not be a hundred percent, but. But just try, yeah. try to reciprocate it and it's going to work out for you. Yeah. I mean, just, just for those people out there leading, man, lead by the gospel, you know, you know, it it's always, good. it don't always have to be pound you over the head, but listen, man, you can lead by the gospel through the life that you live and uh, do that to the best of your abilities. Do that to the, to in, in from starting in your house, lead, lead your family. Mm-hmm. When you're at work, man, lead those people. Even if you're not in a leader, I mean, you're the last man on the crew and you're over there doing all the hard work while everybody's standing around. Hey, man, lead by the best box stacker that you can be, mm-hmm. you know, be the, the best server that you can be. Lead by that example of who God has has changed your life and by the by the, this man named Jesus that walked and gave us every ounce of um, latitude that we had in our life. And that he died for each and every one of us, you know, uh, lead by, by those things and, and keep it humble and keep it on the tracks, keep it humble. And I know that, uh, God is going to reward each and every one of us for it. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And we love you. This is the refuge project.